0: Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. On the Logistics of Logistics, I talk to experts in logistics and transportation, warehousing, fulfillment, supply chain, and of course, technology. And during these interviews, I'm always the one asking the dumb questions. I ask the dumb questions so you don't have to. Today's topic is clarity in a dangerous world with my friend, Ben Gordon. Ben wears lots of hats. Ben is the founder of Cambridge Capital, a private equity firm focused on the logistics and supply chain sector. He is also the founder of BGSA, a mergers and acquisition advisory service specializing in logistics and supply chain. Ben is also the host of the BGSA Supply Chain Conference that will be held January 24th through January 26th in beautiful Palm Beach, Florida. Not a bad place to be in January. Ben is also the founders of the Logistics Coalition. We talk a little bit about that. Logistics Coalition is focused on providing humanitarian aid for people impacted by the wars in Europe and Middle East. Ben truly has the pulse of the industry. If you are going through a difficult time, and many of us are in this space, please check out my conversation with Ben Gordon. How's it going, Ben Gordon? Doing great,
1: Joe. Terrific to see you. Thank you.
0: Good to see you too. So Ben, please introduce yourself and your company and where you're calling from today.
1: Sure. I'm the founder and managing partner of Cambridge Capital, which is a private equity firm focused on logistics. I'm also the founder and managing partner of BG Strategic Advisors, which is an investment bank focused on M&A in logistics and started BGSA over 20 years ago, started Cambridge Capital over a decade ago calling you from our office here in sunny West Palm Beach.
0: Very nice. It's a good time to be in West Palm Beach. So Ben, what do you help companies do is it through Cambridge Capital and through BGSA?
1: So at Cambridge Capital, we invest in outstanding companies in different niche areas of the supply chain, and then we help them continue to grow, whether that's on the software side, for example, investing in green screens, which is the leader in AI and predictive pricing for trucking, so you can figure it on a real-time basis, which is a truckload of freight from Detroit to Miami cost, which is a fantastic company, grew 5X last year and is a market leader in that field. Or whether it's companies on the services side, like Everest, which is a leader in truck brokerage and freight management for blue chip customers like Nestle, Starbucks, anheuser Bush, and a host of others. The common theme is backing great people, building great businesses in different specialty areas of supply chain and, and helping them to continue to grow. And then on the BGSA side, our investment bank, it's helping companies maximize value. So typically, someone wants to sell, cash out, and maximize value through an exit. They'll hire BGSA. Companies like NFI, Werner, Genco, and a host of others, buyers and sellers, have hired BGSA to do so. And BGSA has worked on over 50 M&A transactions, all in the logistics and supply chain arena.
0: Wow. I think you were one of the first that I know of that focused in transportation and logistics before it was cool.
1: <laughs> That's right. It definitely wasn't cool when we started. I don't know if it's cool now. I think it is. But it was certainly back in the early days when I remember we, we had at our first conference, Joey Carnes, who's the CEO of Bax Global, said, I stopped telling people I was in logistics because they didn't know what it meant, then I told them I was in import-export and they thought I was a drug dealer. So logistics has come a long way since then.
0: Exactly. And same with supply chain. I've said it many times on the podcast, but I'll say it again. I remember in the 90s, somebody called, a recruiter called me and they said, they really need somebody to straighten out their supply chain, somebody like you. And they kept saying supply chain. And I was like, I I wrote it down and I was circling it like, what the hell is a supply chain? And I worked in automotive, which is arguably the biggest, baddest supply chain on earth. But we didn't call that supply chain. We had suppliers, we did stuff, but so this is all relatively new in the last this generation. So anyway, I want to talk a little bit about TIA just because we were both at TIA. I talked to you there and that was in October in San Diego and it was fantastic. And I mentioned this before we hit record. You did Shark Tank. So I want to hear about Shark Tank. You also said something, I think maybe when you're introducing yourself at Shark Tank that you've been at part of BGS, part of TIA for 23 years and involved it for 23, not just membership. And I thought, how many people, and I'm I'm throwing myself in this bucket, Ben, how many people struggled in 2023 and then looked and said, I don't know what else I could do. And then they weren't part of TIA and really making an effort to understand the business better and make those connections that can potentially help you grow your business.
1: Exactly. For me, I got involved in TIA because when I started my first company, it was a company called Threeplex. It was one of the first SaaS TMS companies. Nobody used those words back then, but that's what it was. And we were going to mid sized 3PLs and giving them technology to help them automate their business and take what most people were not using a TMS for and those that were doing something a a lot simpler. Maybe it was spreadsheets. There were a handful of giants. I remember Schneider had something called Summit and my summit, which was an AS 400 powered system, but that you had to be an employee at one of the world's largest logistics companies, Schneider, to be using it. And so for the mid-market, there was really nothing there. So what I found TIA very valuable in helping me accomplish was first of all, meeting so many other companies in the 3PL arena, especially in the mid-sized arena. Secondly, was just having a dialogue around where were the problems, where were the opportunities, and what could we do to help? And then third, evangelizing the power of technology, and in particular, the power of SaaS technology for TMS in order to give mid-sized 3PLs the kind of power that historically only the giants had access to. And so that democratization of technology for logistics was an important part of what we were doing. And TIA, because its membership base is comprised of so many small and mid-sized truck brokers and logistics companies, was a great partner. And so I was involved early on as a speaker at TIA events and in a variety of other capacities, built relationships, many of which still have today. And of course, the small entrepreneurial companies of 1999, Have become in many cases the large established incumbents of today. If you think about how many companies have emerged to become billion dollar plus companies from really very little back then, there are quite a lot in the truck brokerage and logistics arena. So it's been, it was rewarding for me. It's also been a great case study in how so many people have succeeded in logistics by virtue of a combination of entrepreneurial tenacity and a willingness to be creative about the use of technology.
0: Yep and by the way now that we're all remote more and more people are remote now i think it's more important than ever to get to that those conferences and so when i went to TIA when i went to TIA i not only did i see a lot of my customers and my sponsors there but people i've interviewed i also saw no oh, i got on the plane i i i i spent for first class ticket normally i don't do that but i said first class i sat next to Ben Darren on my way out and i was like Yeah, this is why you do. This is why you go places. Because I sat there and we flew from Detroit to San Diego together, shared a lift, and then I spent a few hours with him. You don't get to do that unless you go, and so I think it's super important. And and again, it struck me as I was wandering around TIA that because you said twenty three years, and I thought, oh, Ben Gordon, who's got these two companies he's running, and then investments in all these other ones, if he can get there and
1: participate. What is the rest of our excuses for not being there? It's an opportunity for all of us to get out. And and look, notwithstanding the fact that COVID and health risks are, are at zero, effectively, we've moved on from that path. Oh, it's time God. to get back out. Thank God. People
0: again. One of the things, I you were part of the shark tank at T, TIA, so there was four great companies. I'm, 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 pro- I'm going to interview each one of them. So we don't have to go into the great detail about those companies. But I thought it was really interesting to watch you and two other investors ask questions and see how they're looking at companies. It reminded me of watching Shark Tank on TV where you get to say, this is what the sharks are thinking. This is how they're looking at the world. Because I think you're looking at the world with practiced eyes. You say, I'm looking and saying, how does this company scale? How does this company become wildly successful? Or how does this company fail? <laughs> so I really enjoyed that part of it.
1: Thank you, it was fun for me as well. The The beauty of what's happening with TIA is you have great entrepreneurial companies, some that are large, some that are small. You have some incumbent technology providers, and then you have this huge ecosystem of, of innovation and new technology. You know. There are, there are lots of cynics and skeptics in the transportation world, as there are elsewhere, and a lot of people who are quick to dance on the graves of startups that failed. And a lot of them have failed. And a lot of them will, will fail. But the reality is we all benefit from the growth, progress, and innovation that startups generate for the whole ecosystem, not just for those who found them. And so for me, it's fun and rewarding to get to help be a catalyst for things like the TIA Shark Tank because it shines a spotlight on all the innovation and all the opportunity in our sector.
0: Speaking of which, I think there's going to be another shark tank down in Florida. Please speak about that.
1: (laughs) Sure. As At BGSA, our investment bank, for 18 years, we've been hosting an annual conference that gathers many of the best and brightest in the transportation logistics and supply chain world. We'll have 350 plus CEOs and supply chain leaders. And for the last several years, we've been doing a BGSA Supply Chain Shark Tank. And it's really an opportunity to shine a spotlight on innovation and give startups the opportunity not just to tell their story, but also to engage with an audience comprised of some of the top CEOs and leaders in the sector. And if you think about it, for a startup to get to not just pitch his or her story, but also get visibility in front of half a dozen billionaires and CEOs of some of the largest logistics companies in the U.S. and the world. Winning matters, but just getting the visibility, you could argue, matters even more because what, what has happened at our conference in the past, yes, winners have gone on to do great things, and those winners include companies like Green Screens and a host of others, but also companies that didn't win, have ended up getting to do business with some of the multi-billion dollar logistics companies in the audience. One of them, one that was a winner two years ago, sold to somebody in the audience less than a year later. Lots of powerful value relationships and and benefits have accrued to those. But to win, it's great for the startups, it's great for The audience, and it's also great for the ecosystem as a whole.
0: Yep, and so that is January
1: 24th to the 26th. Where is that held again? It's in Sunny Palm Beach at the Breakers Hotel, one of the best hotels in the world. It's a place that if you go there, you might find yourself seeing not just top CEOs but other interesting people. Last year, our friend Mike Tyson came by. Nice, he came by not just because he was there, but actually his wife Kiki has become very knowledgeable about logistics. And Mike has a set of brands under the Tyson 2.0 umbrella. And Kiki has been researching logistics companies to look for logistics partners to work with. So you never know what fascinating, brilliant people, whether in our industry or otherwise, you'll see at our event.
0: No, that's fantastic. So again, I, I know so many deals have come from there. And by the way, for sure, I want to interview whoever wins Shark Tank. And I will see you down there in January 24th through 26th. We'll talk more about that at the end. But today I wanted to talk to you about clarity in a dangerous world. And I thought of this after we were talking at TIA and I wrote it down and then i finally interviewing you this the, the last 12-22. won't publish till January, but it occurred to me that what we're always looking for from our leaders is clarity. And you've been able to provide that over and over again. It, again, I think it's an interesting view that investors have and that you're talking to so many industry leaders, what their concerns are, what their challenges are, also how they've done it, how they've scaled. So we are in a dangerous place right now, Ben Gordon, and I want to talk about a few things. And But first, I want to talk about Ukraine and also now, unfortunately, Israel and what you're doing with the Logistics Coalition.
1: Yes. First of all, thank you for asking. And I think it's vital that we all put ourselves in position to do whatever we can to help. I think From my standpoint, you know, as the saying goes to who much is given, much is expected. We all have benefited from the fact that, number one, for the majority of us that are listening to this podcast, we got a chance to grow up, live and work and benefit from being in the United States, which is not only an amazing country in terms of freedom, but also economic potential. And it means that our capacity to to have resources that we can use for good, probably greater here than than anywhere at any point in time in history. And so I think that's an obligation for me and for all of us. For Ukraine, my involvement began a little over two years ago. We bought a logistics company at Cambridge Capital called Everest. And Everest is based in Chicago, but actually the majority of their people were staffed in Kiev, Ukraine. And Everest found that they had a terrific, high-quality, highly-educated, cost-efficient, loyal, talented workforce that also gave them 24-7 time zone coverage for their blue chip customers. So I went over in September of 2021, got a chance to meet with the team in Ukraine, was blown away, not just by the caliber of the people, but also by the country. And what stood out to me was when you go through Kyiv, and undoubtedly it's different today, sadly, thanks to... Russia's war against Ukraine. But when you walk through a place like Kyiv, what you're struck by, what I was struck by was, on the one hand, the beautiful architecture and the reflections of of the past. On the other hand, also uh, architecture uh, that's a legacy of the Soviet domination that's big, imposing, drab, designed to make you feel small. (laughs) and there's this constant tension be- between those two elements and then similarly when you talk to the people on the one hand it's uplifting to see the entrepreneurial drive energy and enthusiasm and it reminds me of some of the best of w- what I've seen in silicon valley and boston and austin and other tech uh, technology hubs and on the other hand there's also something powerful motivating them which is not just what they're going towards but also what they're going away from they're moving away from the Oppression of being under the Soviet thumb. And so, for so many people in Ukraine, it was powerful, motivating, and rewarding for them to work with US companies like Everest and others, because it gave them not just a chance to do something, be something, and build something, but also to create autonomy in a place that had very little freedom, very little autonomy, very little capitalism, very little agency, control over your own lives. And so when russia invaded on february 24th and launched air ground sea airline sea attacks against ukraine my first reaction was i wanted to do what i could to help our team our people at everest which at that day on feb 24 was about evacuating them westward to get them as far out of harm's way as possible then secondly there was the question of what else to do to help the country and the people of Ukraine. And then third was to leverage what I knew and what I had, which was access to people and resources in the supply chain world that could help. And so we started the Ukraine Logistics Coalition. The Ukraine Logistics Coalition brought in more than $20 million of medical supplies to provide frontline humanitarian relief for Ukrainian people suffering from a war they didn't choose under constant bombardment from Russia. and in a situation where, A, they needed desperate help, and B, it was important for them to also know that there were people outside that cared about them and that were supportive of them. And I think there's no question that the most important thing was vital medical supplies, but I think it also mattered for the people of Ukraine to know that all of us, people of conscience, US and otherwise, stand with them and support them. And so we put a network of companies together, a couple dozen CEOs of logistics and supply chain companies That have provided resources and help in order to assist them. And that was a a very intense undertaking that continues. Um, Unfortunately, the same tragedy of terror that befell Ukraine has now befallen Israel. And on October 7th, when Hamas launched its terror attack, again, a a land, air, sea coordinated attack against the people and the civilians of Israel, succeeded in one day in murdering over 1200 israelis by the way jews christians muslims and buddhists and then cap- capturing kidnapping another more than 200 israelis again across yeah,
0: including a lot of americans
1: including a lot of americans i think close to 40 americans have been murdered or and those numbers of not course not that it should are, are be not-
0: about americans but it just brings it home that this is not israel's problem alone
1: that's right That's right. And so we have the same moral obligation to help there and stepping into the same kind of support role with Israel that that we've stepped into with Ukraine. Yep.
0: And I think you said it before when we talked about Logistics Coalition. Who better to support people on the other side of the world than logistics and supply chain people who do it every day as a matter of course? And this truly is life and death. And I was just saying to a friend who had a foot surgery and he's Got his foot up and his lazy boy we were watching football and eating too much and i said to him just imagine right now for a minute we're in the we're in michigan it's cold this time of year and i said just imagine right now if we had no electricity and we had no heat and you have that broken foot and you've got some issue and he said yeah he goes it's just hard to put yourself in that shoes when we lose power for a few hours I feel like my life's going to end. I'm like, I can't read. I can't play on my phone. Everything falls apart very quickly. And what we're going to see this winter, again, I believe, is the Russians attacking civilian infrastructure. So they don't have heat. So they don't have electricity. It's just brutal. And again, if you're living indoors and eating every day, you have an obligation to do something to help the people who are not able to do that.
1: Exactly. And the the reality is... If you're living above the poverty line in the U.S., you are, I believe, in the top 15% <laughs> yeah. of global wealth.
0: Yeah. $30,000 $30, a year, I believe, makes you in the top 1%. So when you hear everyone's go, oh my God, so-and-so is in the 1%. So are you if you compare the rest of the world. Don't just compare you know, wealthy people in America.
1: Exactly. And as here we are as we're approaching Christmas and New Year's. It's think a good time to take stock and to recognize how much we have to be grateful for how much blessings have been bestowed upon us. And again, how much moral responsibility I believe that places on us.
0: Yep. So I'll make sure I put a link to the logistics coalition. So anyone who wants to get involved still need help. This is still just a drop in the bucket, $20 million. Thank you so much, Ben, for leading the, leading the charge. But I know you would like it to make two, 200 million and. And then 2000000000 billion. I'll put a link so anyone who wants to get involved can reach out and talk to you. Next, I want to talk about the down freight market. Not deadly, but painful for those who are living through it. Ben, please
1: provide us clarity. Tell us it's going to be okay. It, there, it, it will be okay, but we are going through a painful recession. And I think the 65% drop in truckload freight rates over the last year and change is, of course profound, incredibly painful, particularly for those on the trucking side or the freight brokerage side. And it's a microcosm, of course, of what happened in the international freight side the prior year. And I think the good news is, uh, I believe we've hit bottom. I believe things are starting to improve. If you look at freight rate uh, data, whether public data that's published, the work that my friend Chris Pickett puts out in Pickett Line Research elsewhere, it reflects that Things bottomed a few months ago, and they've they've started to improve. Still at a low relative rate, but some stabilization. I think, so a couple of thoughts. One, why did it happen? I think it happened partly because the massive inflation and freight costs brought on by COVID has deflated. And so you think about it in 2020, 2021, because there were shortages of everything, you were willing to pay more in order to get something. It wasn't a question of cost. It was a question of would you get it or not? whether that was semiconductor chips or toilet paper or chicken or any number of other things in between, we had all these shortages and therefore people were willing to pay more to get whatever they could, period, full stop. That has gone away. Secondly, you had this huge artificial spike in demand. The spike was fueled in part by government policy, by the the money the government was giving out. So that if you were uh, the the ninety nine week unemployment insurance, for example, that that artificially stimulated consumer spending. Obviously, the you know the various other COVID spending programs, and of course that money provided a, a temporary spike, and then that spike uh, reverted to normal after that. Third, you have capacity. If you were working for J.B. Hunt or Schneider or some other trucking company in 2020, and you saw all this growth, you might have thought, hey, this is a great time for me to go quit my job, buy a truck, and go into business as an owner-operator or or try to build a trucking company. And it sounded great, but many people mistook a cyclical upswing for a a secular upswing, meaning they thought things would continue to go up when, in fact, it was just a temporary uh, top of the cycle moment. And so too much capacity came in. That, of course, was fueled by a fourth factor, which was ZERP, zero interest rate pricing. So if money was free because you could borrow for a very low rate, you are more likely to borrow. And of course, there were all kinds of incentives to do. So if you and I started Joe and Ben trucking and we went to the bank and we borrowed to buy a couple of trucks and the bank was willing to lend a very high percentage of the truck value and they were willing to do so on a cost that, that was very low. Maybe instead of buying two trucks, we bought three or four or five. And you and I might've thought that was a great decision in 2021, and that doesn't look so good anymore. So all those artificial props from 2020, 2021, have disappeared. You knocked out the props, the business fell back down. You could argue that a lot of it was just a regression to the mean going back to the way it was in 2019, and things then fell a little bit further from there. But Fundamentally, we've lived through the spike and we've lived through the drop. Things seem to have stabilized. If you look at pricing data, capacity data, demand data, all of it seems to be incrementally better today than it was three months ago. Not a lot, but that at least provides some confidence that, that we've reached a point of stability. So my view is the worst is behind it. Yeah. This. So we're
0: talking on 1222. This is my last interview of the year. This will be published in the first week of uh, January. Clearly, We did not see that recovery, full recovery in the fourth quarter. Like many of us thought six months ago, we all thought fourth quarter, first quarter. Now it feels like maybe it's not going to be, well, I won't put words in your mouth. Do you think we'll see more of that bull market in the second, third quarter rather than the first?
1: I, I do. I think it'll take a few months for things to continue to improve. Is it the second quarter, the third quarter, the fourth quarter? My My view is most likely the third quarter. But again, we're already starting to see demand strengthen while capacity is at least staying stable or declining a little bit. Those are good things for everybody in the sector.
0: I believe I've had Chris Pickett on the podcast talking about his research. And one of the things he said is, Joey said, if you look at getting back to Ben and Joe own some trucks and we say things are looking good. Our customers are asking us to do more and more. It's time for us to buy another truck or two. So we buy two more trucks. The company right down the street might be going through the exact same thing. And what Chris said is what all makes sense in your, you're making a good business decision. But if everyone else is making that similar decision, that's how we end up with this tremendous overcapacity. And that's why I always think it's important to talk to people like you who have the view from the top. You're looking at the industry as opposed to, one company and i think this is why we need research like what chris is providing because there's so often it's easy just to go ben we are making the right decision all of our customers want more from us let's buy two more trucks but if we knew everybody else is buying a ton of trucks <laughs> we might say why don't we hold off and buy the trucks when those guys uh, go out of business next year exactly
1: this is like the prisoner's dilemma or the or the free rider dilemma there are, Whole host of examples that show when you make a decision just based about yourself in a vacuum without the benefit of the market data you miss out on things and that's well, a perfect- and
0: i've said this before and i'm not saying this to plug bgsa or any other investor but when you have an investor who says i've been here before i've seen this before and by the way i'm talking to my other investors and my other uh, portfolio companies and we think this and you go oh wait a second, it's not just It's just not a local decision. Now it's a system decision. And that could be a deal, a better deal. And by the way, before I forget, in this down freight market, I'm assuming the best companies are investing for the better times. What are they investing in?
1: Yes, exactly. So, so a couple of things, first of all, um, in a time when the market is volatile, one of the best things you can do is invest in technology that helps you make sense of the volatility. So of course, Your friend and mine, Don Salvucci-Favier, CEO of Greenscreens, provides one such solution. Greenscreens gives truck brokers and others the tools to be able to do a better job of pricing accurately, quickly, and effectively on a real-time basis. That matters because if your average truck brokerage company, 20% of the time, prices based on an estimate of market that turns out to be off-market enough that they're actually pricing at a loss, but they just don't know it. If all you do is eliminate those mispricings, you have the opportunity to significantly boost your profitability. Why does that matter? Just to give you an example, the incumbent in pricing in the truck brokerage market is a company that has a 20% error rate um, in pricing. Okay, 20% is a pretty broad range. Your average truck brokerage margin is 15%. That means that more than 20% of the time, close to 25% of the time, you're actually pricing at a loss because you're guesstimating what the carrier is gonna cost, but you don't actually know. And you're basing it on a trailing market average. Green Screens gives you a real-time price today based on your data. It's dynamic pricing. Just the airlines have shifted to dynamic pricing. When you go and buy a- They
0: had to a long time ago, otherwise they would've closed. They keep getting bailed out anyway, but they would've closed a lot
1: many more times. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. So you and I might be flying uh, on a a plane sitting next to each other. And if I bought my ticket yesterday and you bought it a month ago, I might've had to pay twice as much because of the dynamic pricing. And guess what? I paid twice as much, but that's what the market will bear. It was a rational decision. There's no reason why trucking shouldn't have the same quality of dynamic pricing. And that's what Green Screens is doing. So now You have truck brokers that might look at that and say, wow, do I want to spend $200,000 a year on this green screens technology? But on the other hand, if I know that I could save $2 million a year by virtue of better pricing, I'm making 10x my tech investment with a payback period in a couple of months. It's pretty easy to say yes to that. And there's a reason why in the last two years, green screens has won 150 of the top 200 freight brokers as customers. So I think During a recessionary time, like right now, technology that gives you an edge in terms of insight and a boost in terms of profit is incredibly valuable. And so I think you will continue to see growth for great software companies that can give customers those advantages.
0: And that again, this is the best companies. You just mentioned the top 150. But I did my friend Kevin Hill on from Brush Pass Research. And one of the things he said was we have, what, 25, 27,000 brokers. Some It's a difficult thing to measure. But the top 1,000 have, top 1,500 have 85, 90% of the market. And so those guys have plenty of money to make those investments. And they have always made those investments. And you, they, you'll hear some of them say, we spent hundreds of millions of hours on technology. If you want to stay competitive with those guys, you have to make investments and in stuff like green screens now so you can start becoming, because this is the same old thing Warren Buffett said is, when the tide goes out, you find out who's not wearing a bathing suit. In this case, it's you find out whose unit economics costs are too high. If your transaction costs are higher than mine, I'm going to be more successful in the long run. An extra point or two in margin is everything. And that's what you get from, that's what you get from green screens. They're using AI for this too. So it's, Maybe you can always compare it. I, I, I know this is what I would do, and I've talked to people about it. I would compare it to what I was going to price it. I was going to price it at 2500 You got it at 2550 And then over time, I'm going to look and say, these are pretty close. I, I can start to use this and reduce my cost greatly, and it gets better every day. That's the it, So if you're happy in the beginning, and I know people are because I've interviewed them about it, <laughs> If you're happy with green screens in the beginning, you're going to be really happy in a year as it gets better
1: and better. We all plan to get better.
0: AI actually gets better every day.
1: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And that's the beauty of using a technology with a built-in feedback loop that, that gets better and better just based on, A, the, the power of AI, and B, the power of a team of engineers focused on continuing improvement. Yep. So the day we are at TIA in October in San Diego, Highly recommend.
0: Somebody made a, a smart remark about Convoy. And I thought, oh, that was bad taste. And then somebody I heard somebody mutter behind me, oh, they went out of business today. And I was like, oh, I didn't know it. So it was that day. And there was a lot of people rumor mongering about it. Convoy, I've interviewed them multiple times on the podcast. I love what they're doing. They, I, there's no doubt they raised the bar in this industry. Tell us, what can we learn? from what happened at convoy
1: a couple of things first of all uh, i think it's very sad that convoy failed a lot of smart people lost jobs a lot of you know there, there was a lot of value from what convoy brought to the industry while there are plenty of competitors that are happy to have a competitive exit and certainly from a market pricing standpoint we talked about earlier the fact that there were record bankruptcies in the last year and Frankly, that's necessary to get to some stability on supply and demand. Nevertheless, it's very sad for for Convoy, for its employees, for for its stakeholders, and for all involved. That said, I think there are several lessons that we can take from it. One is, while Convoy had great technology, guess what? So do ECHO, CH Robinson, RxO, Transportation Insight, and plenty of other major players in truck brokerage and transportation management. I think it's a mistake for people to say that the digital brokers are going to put the traditional brokers out of business. It's just not true. They're not the only ones that have innovation. I also think it's not true to somehow claim that digital brokers are software companies. They're not. They're they're tech-enabled right. services companies. Right. Just like Echo and C.H. Robinson and RxO and, and the others are. So I think there's a level, there's a a truth in advertising and understanding what these companies are, what they do, et cetera. That
0: they, they, I think they genuinely thought we are engaging that way and we're not going to be valued as a logistics company. We're going to be valued as a technology company. And I think, again, the, the people who invest in this, the wealthiest people in the world, It's not if you look at that investor list, you go, those guys just don't miss very much. <laughs> right.
1: And what does that tell you? I think it tells you that <laughs> the... Uh, the world of technology is not just software it's also tech enabled services and i think and this brings me to the third point from a valuation standpoint a lot of people valued services companies like software companies and it just wasn't a rational thing to do green screens is a software company reverse logics which powers reverse management returns management as, as a software business that's pure software. The revenue that people pay them is a subscription fee or a transaction fee for software. They're not
0: getting paid on transactions.
1: <laughs> it's just not the same thing. Right. So I think there's just a level of clarity as to what where are they actually, and how do you think about value? That's what
0: we're paying you for, Ben. Clarity in a dangerous world.
1: <laughs> I'm doing my best. That's it. And one more point of clarity. Debt is Warren Buffett said that options and and financial instruments could be weapons of mass destruction and debt could be a weapon of mass destruction too. Why? Because in the case of Convoy, what killed them wasn't all the money they were spending. What killed them was they the, the burn rate was high and it was a problem, but it got magnified by the debt that they raised debt a couple of years ago. Why'd they raise debt? They could have raised equity or debt. Their thinking was, hey, if I raise equity, it's dilutive. And I go from owning this much of the company to a little bit less. I'd rather not have my equity stake diluted. Uh, I'll just borrow, and if I borrow, it's free money, right? The rate, the rates are low. It was pretty cheap then, and as long as the company kept growing, debt was a, a great move. I mean, if you think about it, if you and I buy. A, I mean, it, it, it's true in any scenario. Think about it in real estate. Let's say that you and I buy a house, million dollar house. And we put an eight hundred thousand dollar mortgage on it, and we paid twenty percent down, two hundred grand. And let's say that the house doubles in value over the course of ten years. Well, you and I don't double our money; we much more than double our money because if we sell it for two million, we got leverage. (laughs) We've got even if we didn't pay a nickel down on the mortgage, we've got leverage. So our two hundred grand is now worth one point eight million. We've made nine times our money right? So leverage is great when things are going up, but it's fatal when things are going down. And I think over levered companies, and sadly, Convoy was one, found that out the hard way. And I think that's a fourth takeaway. Am, am I right to say they had venture debt, which is
0: from, so it might be a venture capitalist who gave them that loan. And it, would, it was a variable loan, I'm assuming, that said, and when the rates went from probably 0%, basically almost 0 to 9%, all of a sudden it was, let's just, we see the same thing with the debt of the U.S. government. All of a sudden the debt is eating the rest of the budget.
1: Yes. And and that's exactly right. So listen, from a U.S. government standpoint, we've had, we had 40 years of almost uninterrupted economic growth, a couple of small recessions along the way. But part of the reason why we had such a great run was we could borrow seemingly unlimited amounts It seemingly minimal interest rate costs. If we're entering a period where the world won't let us borrow at such cheap rates, this year our interest expense alone is greater than our defense budget. So that has meaningful impact on America's competitiveness. So it's true for governments it's true for companies. Debt is powerful on the way up but dangerous on the way down. Yep. Yep. So
0: Ben, we talked about green screens and, and making some investments in, in if you can in these down times because again the top companies the top 1,000 companies are doing this. If you want to stay competitive, you're going to, and and there is the ability, you don't have to spend a billion dollars a year to stay competitive, but you have to make some of these investments. What besides that, what do you say to a freight broker who is struggling right now to say, hey, look, Ben, you're telling me better times are coming. What should I do today?
1: Look, I think, first of all, I have tremendous empathy for freight brokers that are in that position because Look, I've been there too. I've been an entrepreneur and founder of five companies over my career and things don't always go up into the right. And I've made plenty of mistakes and I've also had to fight through plenty of economic downturns and whether it's your fault or not, your job as the entrepreneur is to figure it out. So that's not an easy position to be in. And I have a lot of empathy for other entrepreneurs that are in that position. The second thing that I would say is. Look, you have options. If you're building a freight brokerage company and you're fighting through the current economic cycle, one option, one option is that you can sell or merge to become part of something bigger. And even though you might think, gee, why would I sell when it feels like the bottom of the cycle? And I remember two years ago, the business was better, profits were higher, valuations were higher, et cetera. The issue is not comparing yourself to the past, it's comparing yourself to the future and put that aside to sunk cost, you can't roll back the clock, we're not in 2021 anymore. The real question is, what do I do right now that maximizes my value over the next several years? I would argue that in this ecosystem, it's more valuable than ever, A, to be a part of something bigger, B, to have access to great technology, C, to be able to leverage buying power, whether that's buying power with respect to the carrier side or the use of technology or the use of other services. And then D, customers are increasingly interested in bigger and and broader capabilities and solutions. So therefore, it just makes sense to be a part of something bigger. So now you might say, all right, that's great, but I don't want to sell and cash out at the bottom. Great. Don't sell and cash out at the bottom. Our portfolio company Everest and truck brokerage, for example, is working on a couple of interesting deals with terrific companies, and we'll probably do at least one and hopefully more, where those companies have great management teams. Everest is buying them, but the owners are also taking equity in the business going forward, plus earnout, So they will get the opportunity to benefit from being a part of something bigger, all the advantages of buying power, technology, back office infrastructure, and more, and then get paid three ways. One with cash at close, two with earn out for their own growth, and then three with equity as a part of the combined enterprise. And my, my belief is that a great company in that position will make more money, have a better outlook, also, frankly, get to have more fun and spend their time on the things that they want to be doing, And be more effective as part of a consolidation, and so I think that was actually a great time to be on offense like that. Yeah,
0: and by the way, one other thing, Ben, we don't think of selling your company as going public, but it has the same impact. You get a little bit of money, right, and and maybe you keep some piece of it, so you got that upside. Jeff Bezos owns, from what I last time I looked, seventeen percent of Amazon. He's done all right. He's doing okay. He's doing all, right. <laughs> he all right. Now he's a neighbor down that way and down in Florida, right? Just because it's only because his parents are there, Ben. No other reason. <laughs> and Bill Gates, he doesn't own all of Microsoft anymore. These companies went public. You might never take your company public, but you can sell, you can sell into some larger entity and watch that, that smaller piece grow into a much bigger chunk of money over time. Not a bad way to go. Anyway, Ben Gordon, enough of my blather. I want to wrap this bad boy up. First off, one more time, BGSA, tell us a little bit about that conference coming up January 24th through
1: the 26th. The BGSA conference for 18 years has been the gathering point for many of the best and brightest in the logistics and supply chain world. And we will have CEOs and leaders of a whole host of major companies as, as we have historically from companies like NFI, Echo, XPO, RxO. Hub Group, Forward Air, Wise Tech, Descartes, a whole range of terrific companies. And what's amazing is it's an opportunity to learn from peers, to think broadly, because it's not just a bunch of people running the exact same business. These are across the whole spectrum of supply chain. It's also a terrific forum for strategic and deal discussion. Lots of major deals have happened there. Uber Transplace came together there, for instance. And whether your goal is to learn, to build relationships, or to come up with some great targeted deal ideas as a buyer or as a seller or, or otherwise, the BJSA Supply Chain Conference is where all of that happens. Awesome.
0: Awesome. So I'm going to summarize. I want to get your final thoughts on it. You can put a big bow on this. So we've talked about a lot. And again, I'm talking to Ben Gordon about clarity in a dangerous world. So we talked about the problems in Ukraine and in Israel and how we can help through the Logistics Coalition. I'll make sure I put a link to that website and also to the previous conversations we've had about it. We also talked at length about this down freight market. I'm also going to put a link to green screens because you mentioned, I just did an interview with Werner and green screens. Werner is using green screens and it's good enough for Werner. It's probably good enough for you guys. Also we talked about the failure of convoy and what we learned from that failure. And again, it's great lessons. We also talked about BGSA and we talked a little bit about these technologies and tactics that can help us be survive and be competitive in the coming quarters Put a big bow on this one, Ben Gordon.
1: (laughs) I would say the bad news of the last year is that we've lived through the worst freight recession of our lifetimes. The good news is we're still standing collectively. And this is an industry that I think is poised for growth, innovation, and success in the coming year. I think the winners will be companies that, number one, use technology to create competitive advantage, like the 150 plus truck brokerage companies using green screens. Number two, companies that do a great job of specializing and being the best in a specific area, our friends at Reverse Logic specializing in returns, for example. Number three, companies that are laser focused on productivity gains, whether that's powered by software, by using offshore labor like Everest has done or otherwise. And then number four that are thinking aggressively about growth and value creation, whether that's as a buyer or as a seller where you merge into something and take equity. If you're in truck brokerage, certainly Everest is interested in talking to you. If you're in LTL consolidation or cold chain logistics, our friends at BOA Logistics would be interested in talking to you. But above all, now's a great time to have a point of view and to figure out where do I where can I be the best and what what can I do to drive that differentiation. And I think if you do that, history has shown that some of the best businesses have come out of difficult times. NFI was founded in 1932 during the jaws of the Great Depression. Today, a $4 billion company, arguably the the best, largest, and and highest quality of the privately held major major firms in logistics. The the same can be said of many other companies. Notwithstanding the challenges of the past year, I think now's a great time to be thinking strategically. And then for us at Cambridge Capital, we're continuing to invest in great businesses. If you are running or or part of a great supply chain company that's looking for a partner for growth, reach out. Cambridge Capital could be a great fit. And on the other hand, at our investment bank, BG Strategic Advisors, working with plenty of companies that are looking to sell and maximize value. and. If you own a company or are involved with a company that, that's looking to cash out and maximize value, certainly BGSA would be happy to talk with you. And lastly, if you've got an idea, feel free to reach out and certainly anything that I can do to help, I'm certainly happy to be a part of the dialogue and you can reach me through LinkedIn at my handle's Ben Gordon 18. You can email me at, at Ben at cambridgecapital.com or uh, or on Twitter or, or otherwise, but I'm accessible and happy to be a contributor to this wonderful industry.
0: Yep. I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile, link to your websites and any other links you and your marketing team give me. Ben, I know I normally ask people what conferences we'll see you at, but I know I'll see you at BGSA January 24th to 26th down in Palm Beach. I'll also see you at Manifest, which we were talking about before we hit record. Manifest is it's a fantastic event. I know this coming year, I have to plan better because last year I decided, oh, I'm just going to wing it a little bit. I, I was, I did some interviews there, but this year I'm going to be strategic. And I will say that with 4,000 plus people there this coming year, and by the way, more shippers than ever, really, they they'd even changed the name to say the future of supply chain and logistics. So definitely want to get it to that conference. And again, be strategic, buy those airline tickets now, <laughs> buy, buy the, it's cheaper now to buy it and keep in mind it's the same week as the Super Bowl so it's the first week of the is the first week is the manifest the second week part of the week is Super Bowl by the way Ben i'll see you there maybe we'll pick up some cheap tickets to the Super Bowl 50 100 bucks something like that
1: <laughs> There you go. There you go. That a great, show. Thank
0: you. Great to be with you. It's always nice to talk to you, Ben. Thank you so much for providing that much needed clarity. Thank you, Joe. Yep. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support's very much appreciated. Until next time, Onward and Upward.